Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Anna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to our program. Our website's DatelineLouisiana.com. I'm Jim Brown, and my co-host with me is Ronna Gray. Ronna, uh, we've got a lively show today. I hope uh, a lot of our listeners might have some whiff of acknowledgement or knowing about quite a controversial character out of Louisiana, right? It's amazing how many big stories always come back to Louisiana, and even more interesting, come back to Baton Rouge. And this is one that sort of started and ended in Baton Rouge. Well, we're talking about Barry Seal. And uh, uh, if you're in your 20s or 30s, you may not have known about Barry Seal. He was assassinated in Baton Rouge in 1986 and was quite a character. To give you a little background on him, at uh, uh, before he uh, was uh, caught, arrested, he was the single by far largest transporter of cocaine from the uh, drug cartel, the Colombian drug cartel, uh, in, in the uh, in the world, in the whole country. He would fly uh, regular runs of cocaine in his plane. He was from Baton Rouge. He'd flown in and out of Baton Rouge a good bit, and uh, he would make the trip from Columbia into Louisiana and uh, sometimes dropping the drugs in the water, other times landing at obscure airports. And for doing that, he was paid $500,000 a trip. One trip flight from Columbia, they paid him $500,000. Pablo Escobar was the notorious drug uh, cartel king that uh, had a relationship with Seal, and Barry Seal would fly those flights uh, Tom Cruise played him in a movie a few years back, and Dennis Hopper played him back in a 1991 movie. Uh, and uh, uh, so he had some pretty well-known actors playing him because he was such a controversial and interesting character. And uh, so anyway, we're going to talk about him a little bit. I wrote a column about him last week. You can find it on our website, datelinelouisiana.com, or my website, Jim Brown. LA.com. But Ronna, I, uh, I didn't know Barry. I've, I've heard lots of stories from his lawyer. He, his lawyer in Louisiana was called is uh, Louis Unglesby, who was a very well-known, very competent uh, criminal defense lawyer. He represented Seal in Louisiana and just has marvelous stories to tell. Uh, we couldn't get him on today, but in the future show, we might try to get Lewis on because he has such a fascinating list of of clients, governors, senators, different people that he represented, and one of his clients was Barry Seal. And uh, so anyway, from what Lewis tells me, Seal had this unbelievable knowledge. He knew where every nook and cranny took place, who was handling the drugs, uh, who all the major drug dealers are coming out of South America. He was a very knowledgeable guy and uh, parlayed that into, like I say, a lot of money. I've read where he made over 100 trips from Columbia, from Bogota, Columbia, and was paid $500,000 a trip. So you can put a pencil to that. And uh, Barry Seal was one of the 
wealthiest guys in the whole drug trade and, and quite frankly, in any trade uh, in America at the height of, of his notoriety, which is back in 1996. Did you know him tied to Baton Rouge? I, I did not know him. I've, I've heard of some of his uh, children. I think he had about six children. He was married three times. And, um, and one of his wives lives in Baton Rouge right. and several of his children live in Baton right. Rouge. And I think one of his sons was a pilot, as I recall. I've, I, I remember hearing about him, very good pilot. Uh, I think helicopter pilot and flew some people who, you know, shoot video from aerial shots and all. But uh, no, I didn't I didn't know him, but I've, I've been fascinated by this story just because, like you said, um, Tom Cruise in the movie American Made, which they say is largely fictionalized around his life. Lots of things in it didn't actually happen, but a uh, very good, interesting movie. And then, as you mentioned, Dennis Hopper was in the uh, movie Double Crossed back in 1991, made for HBO. So we can find everything online streaming now. So if you're not familiar with the Barry Seal story, you can go find these movies. And the Double Cross is something we'll talk about uh, that title came from the fact, according to uh, Barry Seal's lawyer, from the fact that uh, Seal was double-crossed in a deal he made with the federal government by a Baton Rouge judge. That's where the double-cross comes from. Why we're talking about this, why this all is in the news right now is that Seal, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about what happened to him, he was assassinated in Baton Rouge while in a halfway house. And uh, the, uh, he was machine gunned down as he returned home to the halfway house on the probation that he had from a federal judge here in Baton Rouge. Well, the assassin, the guy, that, the mastermind uh, that plotted the assassination was named Bernardo Antonio Vasquez. Vasquez was from Colombia. He was sent up here by Escobar to see that. And and why they wanted to assassinate Seal was that he knew where all the all the plots were buried. He knew, you know, he knew uh, to turn over any rock. He knew all the drug dealers. He knew all about them. He was going to be spending uh, year after year in court testifying against the drug cartel. And had already testified against a number of them and resulted in convictions. So he... Definitely had a target on his back. Well, he did. And so uh, Escobar, knowing the damage he was going to do, the SEAL was going to do, uh, to had one of his men, Bernardo Antio uh, Vasquez, uh, come and handle the assassination. Well, Vasquez was captured and sentenced to life imprisonment at Angola Penitentiary here in Louisiana. And uh, so he served... Uh, uh, well, since uh, uh, probably, I'm saying 30 years, 34, almost 40 years of his sentence he served. He applied for Governor John Bell Edwards to commute his sentence. Uh, and from what the news reports showed, he had been a model prisoner. He'd found the Lord. Uh, he had people at the prison had written glowing recommendations about how he had turned his life around, what a model prisoner he was. And uh, and the pardon board said, yes, his sentence should be commuted to time served, and he should be, uh, uh, he wasn't going to get a pardon, but he was going to get a commutation that would let him out of jail. So 
Uh, the pardon board recommended that the governor commute his sentence and uh, <clears throat> looked like he had all his ducks in the row from the prison officials. Everybody is saying he's uh, uh, changed his life. But the governor said, no, the outrageous crime that you did does not lead me to uh, commute your sentence. I were going to refuse to do it. You're going to stay in jail. And he was promising to go back to Columbia. <laughs> he would be you know, immediately out of the country and everything. But you're right. I mean, that's still fresh on the memories of a lot of people. I mean, that was in the 80s. A lot of us do remember just the brutal killing of that and what led to that and him not being protected, not being allowed to have his own bodyguards or anything to protect him. Pulls up in front of the Salvation Army halfway house on an airline highway in Baton Rouge and is gunned down. Well, and Vasquez was not a kid. I mean, he was... At the time, I guess he's in his 20s or maybe right late 20s. <clears throat> so it wasn't like, you know, he, emotion or crime of passion or, or anything, or he didn't really have the sense to know what he was doing. He was a hired gun. He was a hired assassin. And so uh, he was sentenced by the judge to life in prison, and the governor says, life means life, and I'm not going to pardon your sentence. Now, that's not to say that someone later on might want to pardon him, but uh, uh, but in the case of of uh, of Governor Edwards, he said, "No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." So it brought up the whole uh, uh, the whole summary of what happened to Seal. And uh, like I say, Seal was really an interesting guy. I don't know. I I can't recall how he made the tie uh, <clears throat> in Colombia with the, with Escobar and uh, they. Uh, uh, obviously needed a pilot, right? A pilot, and he had, you know, so he could fly the drugs in, and and he was a cowboy pilot, you know, he was the kind you needed. I don't know the truth either, because I know the Tom Cruise version, <laughs> some very tense scenes in that movie uh, when he was doing those meetings with the cartel. They were gripping scenes. You were nervous that it was all going to blow up on him. But you're right. I don't know the the actual way it happened. Well, to tell you a little bit more about what happened, Seal first was uh, pled guilty to running these drugs in a Florida court and was going to get a real stiff sentence from the sentencing federal judge. This is all in the federal courts down there. <clears throat> so the day of his sentencing where they looked on him going to jail for 10 years or so, Apparently, a whole group of federal officials from the DEA and the FBI and the CIA, they all came to testify on his behalf and said, Judge, this guy can make all these cases for us. He can have a huge impact in wiping out a lot of these drug dealers, these major uh, uh, drug cartel dealers, because he'll testify against him. And so he'll be a great witness. So, but to do so, if he's going to testify, <clears throat> you need to give him probation because if you don't, well, he's not going to testify. You know, if he's just going to be in jail for 10 years. So the judge waited. And according to Seal's lawyer, the, ju uh, the federal judge not only agreed to it, but came down off the bench and congratulated Seal for his, <laughs> his commitment to try to clean up the mess that he had been part of. <clears throat> well, when he was, he had to come back to Baton Rouge because he also had charges in Baton Rouge against him. Under Federal Rule 35, that I think is still in effect, it was in effect at the time, 
if one federal judge makes a deal on how you're sentenced, it applies to any other federal judge. Some other federal judge says, well, I'm going to ignore that. You're going to get sentenced to a lot more. So they had to, uh, the, the, the Rule 35 said the federal judge in Florida would prevail. So Seal comes back to Louisiana, and uh, he's going to plead uh, guilty but put on probation. So his lawyer, Louis Unglesby, who we're talking about, this fine federal, fine criminal defense attorney, stands up to the judge. In this case, the judge is named Frank Palazzola. He's no longer living. He died at 71. <clears throat> but he, he came up to Palazzola and said, look, let me tell you what happened in Florida. We assume you're going to give him probation, but turn him loose because judge... If you don't, he's going to have a mark on his back. They're not going to let this guy live. The uh, uh, the drug cartel going to wipe him out. He's going to tr- bring them all down, put them all in jail. And according to Seal's lawyer, the judge from the bench said, no one is going to tell me how to run my court. And the judge imposed the requirement that Seal spend uh, his nights for, I guess, the first year or two in a halfway house, uh, the Salvation Army Community Treatment Center, <coughs> which you folks in Baton Rouge is on U.S. Highway 61, Baton Rouge, Airline Highway. If you go out Florida Boulevard to Airline Highway and turn left, it's in that, in that general area. So his lawyer stands up and says, wait a minute, you're signing his death sentence. If he stands up, he won't last two or three weeks in the halfway house because the cartel's going to put an X on him, and he's going to be assassinated. And the judge basically said he didn't care, that that was Seal's problem and not his. And two weeks later, I believe, two to three weeks later, he's got a big old Cadillac. He's driving up to the halfway house, gets out of the halfway house, takes a couple of steps, and the assassin, uh, one Bernardo Ant- Antonio Vasquez, leads a group of several others, and they take a submachine, rather a machine gun, not a submachine gun, a full automatic machine gun, and riddled his body with bullets, and he was killed there on the spot. So uh, this judge basically signed his death sentence when he ordered him to be in the halfway house. What Sia wanted to do, and, and the, the lawyer makes a good point, and uh, I haven't practiced law in many years, but I was a criminal defense lawyer for a number of years, handled... Uh, very stiff sentences uh, uh, involving death and murder. Uh, what uh, what was going to happen w- with Seal was, uh, if he was out on probation, he would have his own bodyguard, and he would go to a undisclosed location. He would not be out in public, right? And 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 the the FBI or the CIA, whoever would bring him to testify, then take him back, and he would be you know, be protected. So, uh, well, that wasn't what happened. And so we lost the opportunity to put a number of these major drug cartel people in jail. And again, while we're talking about it now is that the assassin asked for a commutation of sentence. The governor didn't get it, but it's been front page news down here right. uh, uh, for several days. And, and they certainly knew what was coming because as you mentioned uh, there was originally an assassin hired in the car. He was a drug distributor for the cartel, I think, in Miami or something. 
And he was told $500,000 if you kill him, a million if you capture him alive. Right, they, yeah. So Escobar wanted him alive. Yes, yes. So he actually got caught and arrested before he could carry it out. And he told the authorities he'd been hired to kill Barry Seal. That's the deal he had made. So he told the task force that, that was investigating all this. So they told Barry Seal, you have a $500,000 contract on you. So even knowing that, even knowing, you know, as he, when he was sentenced, as you said, Judge Palazzola uh, wouldn't let him have a bodyguard or wouldn't ha- give him any protection. Uh, Barry Seal said, he just made me a clay pigeon. And uh, even knowing all of that, he tells him, okay, you have to report to the ha- halfway house every day by 6 p.m., and you can leave every morning at 6 a.m. Well, why not let's just advertise? Well, that's if you all have public a, record. If you have a hit yeah, on that's him. That's all public record. It's not like it was closed doors. So, right. well, guys, he's telling everybody, if you want to find him, be there at 6 o'clock in the evening at the Salvation Army. Yeah. And, uh, so, <laughs> and you'll was, know when to get him. And the other thing I thought was interesting in, in this whole story was um, he, he was likable. And like you said, his family here in Baton Rouge he has a lot of friends who are still around in Baton Rouge. And, you know, this is just kind of the business that he got himself in. But um, there was a lot of outrage and and continues to be beyond his family over the way he was treated. And even back when it happened, Attorney General, who you knew well, Billy Gust at the time. Uh, Louisiana Attorney Louisiana General. Attorney General Billy Gust contacted United States Attorney Ed Meese, Attorney General at the time, highly critical of the government's failure to protect him as a witness for the reasons you just said. He could have put away so many very dangerous drug cartel, uh, drug distributors that have led to what we're dealing with now in life. So Meese launches a federal investigation to determine whether or not Louisiana and Florida and Washington all these lawyers had just mishandled the case and that he should have been maybe forced into protective custody. But um, all the government just said, oh, you know, he refused to go in the witness protection program, and so it's his own fault. So nothing really came of that. But that really, I think, speaks to how egregious what happened to him was that the attorney general of Louisiana— felt so strongly about it as to contact the Attorney General of the United States and say what you just said, this stinks, you know, this stinks, this whole thing does, and uh, this is wrong. And I think that's why you've seen, you know, these movies about Barry Seal. He kind of became a folk hero, honestly. And then movies about Pablo Escobar, same thing. You see a movie about Pablo Escobar, Barry Seal's going to be a character in it. (laughs) He, Uh, He is a bit of a folk hero. Well, if you well, want to character, get, I might say. <laughs> well, a lot of it is fiction, as Rhonda pointed out. But still, if you want to see, and it's always nice to see Tom Cruise. You know, yeah, I'm sure Barry would be very pleased that Tom Cruise played him in the movie. Considering you know? his nickname by the cartel was El Gordo, meaning the fat one. <laughs> I think if you can go from El Gordo to being portrayed by Tom Cruise in a movie, pretty good. Darn right. Pretty good. Darn right. 
Well, and you'll find that of interest. You may want to Google Barry Seal or go and take read my column that I wrote about this week, which is uh, DatelineLouisiana.com or JimBrownLA.com, and you read about this fascinating uh, character, obviously deeply flawed, a crook, but someone, as Ron has said, has become somewhat of a folk hero. And it all, as you also said earlier, all these stories all land right back in the Bayou State, right back in Louisiana. It's, so, it's uh, amazing. We talk about them every uh, episode here on the podcast. Some of these really strange, bizarre stories, sometimes big crimes, uh, but capture news all over the country, all over the world. And where do they come back to? Louisiana. Right here to the Bayou <laughs> State, right here. So the Crescent. From the Crescent City, New Orleans, to Baton Rouge, and all over the state. So, hey, glad you folks listened to us today. Uh, I'm Jim Brown. My co-host is Rhonda Gray. We enjoyed talking to you a little bit about about our program. And by the way, email us if you got some suggestions for shows or you've got any comments. We're going to start reading comments on the show. Our website, uh, it, rather, our email address is Huey H U E Y at DatelineLouisiana.com. So we hope you'll let us hear from you uh, as we move on to other other episodes and programs. Uh, again, is why we love Louisiana and have so many colorful characters that come out of here. Ronnie, you have a good week. I will be too. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. To subscribe to this podcast or contact Jim or Ronna, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.